Good evening. Can we continue in the same spirit of worship? Wasn't that awesome? The name of Jesus, huh? Wow. It's, 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 I'm humbled to be here and speak to you on missions night because we have such awesome missionaries all over. It's amazing. But hopefully these words are encouraging and uh, God speaks to us and encourages us. Let's, let's pray before we start. Heavenly Father, thank you for the name of Jesus. There's no other name by which we can be saved but the name of Jesus. Thank you that you are sovereign over all, God. That you will accomplish your purpose of redeeming all men to you. But you choose to use us, God. Thank you for the privilege that we have of calling you Father. Would you encourage us tonight and just stir us up in our faith, Lord? Would you visit us? Give us a sense of your presence in this room. Anoint this message in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay, if you turn with me to Matthew 13 and verse 44. It says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. And then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has, and he buys that field. And um, I was reading through the book of Acts, and I, I see this, this picture of the, that Paul has in his ministry. And all his missionary journeys, he would have this, this pattern, right? He would go to a place, and he would preach, and one of two things would happen. Either they would, they would really re- receive it, and they'd accept it, and they'd believe, and they'd beg with him to tell them more about it. The second thing is they'd stone him, right? That's really encouraging. <laughs> but 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 I'm not, I don't want to talk so much about his ministry, but what the purpose of his heart was and the attitude of his heart that motivated him to go. And uh, Paul would preach, he'd get kicked out, he'd move on to the next place, right? And any normal person would move on. See, see, they would see that as a closed door and just move on, okay? But what does Paul do? He does something different. Paul is not normal, right? He goes back. He goes back to all those places that they kicked him out of. And I was thinking to myself, why does he do that? What motivates him in his heart to do that? Let's read this verse again in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. Right? What do you think of when you think of a field? Trees, grass, flowers. I mean, flowers, I don't know. That's not the kind of fields that treasure is hidden, right? When I think of a field, I think of rocks, stones, puddles, rats, snakes, right? It's not, it's not really appealing when you look at it. You're driving by and you see it's, it's like a thorny field. There's weeds all over. It's not really, it's not really appealing to, to look at, right? And the man in Matthew 13 He sees this field with all these stones and puddles and stuff, but he sees a treasure in it, right? And he's so filled with joy that he deems it worthy to sell all that he has to go and buy that field. And that's what I think Paul found. Paul sees that ministry and missions is like a treasure hidden in a field, right? He gets kicked out, but there's a treasure. And what is the treasure that Paul finds that is, that, that he finds, he thinks it's so worthy that he can like give up his life for? What is the value that he sees in the treasure that surpasses the value of his very life? 
And I think it's people. Right? It's the Jews who, who begged him, Paul, please tell us more about this gospel. We want to know more. It's the Gentiles who raise their hand and they rejoice when they hear the gospel and they worship God. It's the blind, the, the lame man who has never walked before in his life, but he, but he has faith that God, there's a God who can heal him. Right? I, I had the privilege of being in Colombia last summer and I was, we were walking down the street and we see this man and he's uh, under a lamppost and he's looking out into the distance. And um, you can see the hurt in his eyes. He's hurting. So we go up to him, we ask him, is everything okay? And he says, I'm just, I'm just repenting because my life is a mess. I lost my job three months ago. My wife left me with my two kids. Both my parents are sick. And I'm just asking God if there's something I did wrong. And I'm asking, if, I'm asking him if he's really there. And I said to him, I said to him, there's a story of this person in the Bible. His name was Nathaniel. And he was sitting under a tree. Right? Maybe he was, maybe he was burdened. Maybe he was at the end of himself. But Jesus said, I saw you. And I want to tell you that Jesus sees you right now. He sent us. And we, and we, we give him the message of grace. And slowly those eyes started to, they started to have like tears rolling down and his frown turned into a smile. And we prayed with him and he prayed with us and then he couldn't stop smiling. And I just thought to myself, wow, that's a treasure, isn't that? And that's, that's our message. We, we tell people, we tell people that there's a God who sees you. He sees you and that's the message people need to hear. And then Paul, Paul goes to Lystra where he was stoned. And he goes there. And in the field of his persecution, he finds Timothy, a disciple. He went back to where he was stoned and he found Timothy. When Paul signed up for this, he saw that he, he probably didn't know what the field really, what, what he was buying. The field that he was buying was, is told to us in 2 Corinthians 11, right? It was beatings, persecutions, shipwrecks, three times. That's crazy. Right? He is in this, in the ocean day and night, whipped with lashes, thieves, and then also false apostles. Right? What, a, what an awesome field to buy. But he, he counted it worthy because of the treasure that he found in it. And I don't think Paul could do this on his own, but I think he looked to the example that Jesus set before us. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ, right? First Corinthians 11. What did Jesus do? He looked down at the, at the field, but he didn't count the cost, but he looked at the treasure. He didn't count the cost of the cross, but he looked to the treasure, which is you and me. And he said, I deem it worthy to leave all that I have behind to go, right? And redeem this person to myself. And, and today as I was praying, this message really, really touched my heart. And I was praying, I was saying, like, my prayer changed from God, like, what can you do for me to, God, you've done so much for me. What can I do for you? And I could sense God say in my spirit, he said, go. This is what you can do for me. You can go. There's someone who needs to know that I see them. You can go. And, and I think, I think there's, there's three kinds of joys that we can have in our lives. There's the joy that comes from circumstances around us, right? We're blessed and we have joy. And then there's a joy that comes from knowing that we are saved, right? And then there's a third joy. It comes from obedience to the will of God. And when we do that, it's joy that you cannot, you cannot compare. 
And that's why I think this, this person in Matthew 13, this parable, is able to sell all that he has to go find the treasure because of the joy that was in his heart for it. And this is a warning, maybe. Be careful when you go, when you go on a mission trip. Because you may, you may find the treasure, and you may want to sell all that you have, and you may just want to go. And I, 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 just, I just love the fact that we have, we have a church that, 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 is, that loves to go and encourages us to go. And, and it's awesome to see the work of God that God is doing in, in people's lives. There's just disciples. Maybe in closing, you can think of this one person, this one guy. His name is Augustine. He's in Colombia. And he's a disciple. Pastor Brent invested in him. And he, he was the only provider in his home. But he, he decided to just trust God. He quit his job and does Bible college full time. You know? And those are the kinds of people you meet. And you, you're stirred up in your faith. So let's, let's get stirred up in our faith today, okay? There's a treasure waiting out for us. Don't, don't look at the field. Don't look at the field. Look at the treasure. Like even, even in each other. Maybe, maybe some people are rough around the edges. Let's not look, let's not look at that field. There's a treasure inside. Amen. Amen. Good evening. How are we? What a good night. What a fun night on a Sunday evening. Missions orientated. Um, let's let's um, go through just a few passages. I won't speak too long, but just a few passages just on this theme of missions and, and um, summer harvest. So let's just open up with prayer. So Lord, we just come to you and... We're just so thankful, Lord, that you've given us a mission. You've given us the Great Commission, and you've given us an objective, and that is to reach the world with the gospel, and that you have given us a heart that has affection towards you and then affection towards our neighbor. And, Lord, whatever that looks like for this year and our summer and our mission here in Baltimore, that we can be a part of it in whatever way, and we just ask that you can just bless these few words in your name, amen, amen. So if you want to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll just speak just a few moments about Paul and how he viewed his mission and how he viewed the Great Commission and how he saw that he didn't want anything to get in the way of him being able to preach the gospel. And starting in verse 19, he says this, For though I am free from all. Meaning that when you're a believer, you are adopted into the family of God. And also you're placed in the kingdom of his dear son. And if you are a follower of Christ, we have the great commission that's given to us. But at the same time, our salvation is not dependent upon us going out and reaching the lost. There's nothing attached to our salvation whatsoever. So rather, you are brought into this family. It's an invitation that you're in this family and you can tell other people about it. And Paul says, I'm free from all and I've made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, 
though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, the Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, not being outside of the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. So Paul is saying that he has become all of these things to identify with the people that he's going to reach. And we can read that and we can say Paul is becoming all things to all men. What does that mean? And what is he really trying to bring across? And he's bringing across the fact that he's going to sacrifice his own personal freedoms for the sake of unbelievers. And I'm going to bring out a few just different examples in the book of Acts where we're going to see that he is self-denial. He has self-denial in his life for the sake of the gospel. Well, how did Paul apply this in his life that he became all things to all men? Well, with the Jews, if he had to abstain from eating pork, he would abstain from eating pork. If there was a certain feast that was going on and he was in Jerusalem, he would attend that feast. And why did he do it? It wasn't to appease the pride of the religious people, but rather it was for him to see an open door of opportunity so that he could preach the truth, uncompromised, but the truth. Paul would never stoop to compromise the truth of the gospel. He says that to the Corinthians. But rather, he would offer up some of his Christian liberties that he had in Christ so that he could serve other people. Let's look in Acts chapter 15, just a couple examples, just briefly. Acts chapter 15. Now, Paul is... They're doing work in the Gentile world, and there's many people that are coming to Christ from the Gentile world, from the Roman world, but there's many Jewish people in Jerusalem that are very skeptical about these Gentiles turning to Christ. And they're a little confused because they're not really fully understanding the New Covenant, and they're thinking maybe that these new Gentile people have to observe Jewish law. And one of these we see in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 is that they were demanding that new converts would be circumcised. Not just children, but full-grown men. I don't know if that would deter you from following Christ, but that would be maybe one of the factors that I would be trying to think over. Seems like a pretty big sacrifice. So the Jerusalem Council in Acts chapter 15 is really debating this subject. And we see in verse 7 that Peter stands up, and it says actually that they were discussing... Look at in verse 7, there was much debate about it. Let's see, verse 7. And after there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, Brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you, that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Peter's going to go on and testify to the fact that he's preached the gospel and these people are truly saved. Well, if they're truly saved, why do they need to follow Jewish law? James, who's the leader of the group, if you go on to read the rest of the chapter, James, he's the leader, he's the pastor there in Jerusalem. He stands up and he settles the question of 
do these new Gentiles have to follow ceremonial law? And James offers up and says, no, they don't. They're saved simply by faith. But this is interesting because James is going to continue, and he's going to lay out a mandate. In verse 19, he says this, Therefore my judgment is that we should not trouble those of the Gentiles who turn to God, but should write to them. And look at this. He's going to put a condition on them. So he's just saying in the previous verses that they don't have to be circumcised, they don't have to follow the Sabbath, they don't have to follow dietary law, but now he's going to lay out mandate. And he says this in verse 20, write to them to abstain from things polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, and from what has been strangled, meaning an animal that has been strangled like a, uh, you know, a, a chicken or something like that that's been strangled and from the blood in Jewish mind anyone who ate an animal that was filled with blood and a strangled animal would have coagulated blood in the meat that that is what Gentiles did and the Jews were offended by it they thought it was grotesque it's like maybe some of us have been to different parts of the world and they eat different animals and different parts of the animals that we kind of look like Just keep that over there on the other side of the table. Verse 21, For from ancient generations Moses has had in every city those who proclaim him. Meaning that there's Jews in every city. So James is going to put down a mandate on the Gentiles. And this is what he says, just very briefly. Number one, that the Gentiles who are saved, they should... Stay away from food offered to idols. Eating food offered to pagan idols was grossly offensive to Jewish people. Now, this had nothing to do with their salvation, but James is telling the Gentiles, don't eat meat that has been offered to idols. We know that Paul says in Christian Liberty that we can go over to the temple and we can buy that inexpensive discounted meat from the priest in the temple and eat it with a clean conscience. So why is James saying this to the Gentiles? Secondly, he says this, tell them to stay away from fornication. That's an obvious mandate. We see it throughout throughout the epistles. But the Gentiles, their culture had very much sex in it. Prostitution in the temples, sex rites, And James was really just saying to the Gentile believers, have nothing to do with the former ways of worship. Stay away from it. Thirdly, he says, stay away from eating meat, especially when you're around the Jews that has blood in it. It's offensive. Now, the reason why I bring this up is James is not saying, he's already said that when they receive Christ by faith, they are saved. Why is he saying in this Jerusalem council, for them to abstain from these four things. And the reason why is because he doesn't want the Gentiles to offend the Jews that are all throughout the Roman Empire. Why is that? Because if Christians practice these most offensive of all Gentile rituals, unbelieving Jews might not turn to the Gospel. So he's saying you have Christian liberty to be able to eat the meat with the blood. 
But I want you to learn this lesson. Abstain from it so that you may win some. So it was a sacrifice. If we see in Acts chapter 16, I'll give you one other example. In verse 1, Paul, he came to Lystra like we just heard, and there was a disciple there and his name was Timothy. Now Timothy had a Jewish mom but a Gentile father. To the Jewish mind, Timothy was not a Jew. He was a pagan. He wasn't a Jew, even though he was. And even more, his mom was actually seen in the Jewish mind as a traitor because she married a Gentile. But we see in in verse 2 that Paul, in verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him. And they were going to go into areas that there were Jews, and Paul, whenever he would go even into the Gentile cities, he would first land at a synagogue. Paul didn't believe that anyone had to be circumcised. And Paul even refused in Galatians when Titus was going to be circumcised. Paul refused for him to be circumcised. But Paul did have Timothy. Let's look. Verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. Isn't that interesting? Timothy didn't have to be circumcised. Paul says, hey, Timothy, we've got to do something before we leave for this mission trip real quick. <laughs> Timothy's thinking, why? I'm saved by faith. I'm justified by faith. Paul, you just taught it to me. Romans chapter 1, why do I have to do it? He simply wanted Timothy to be identified with the Jews, to honor them in their tradition. They wanted to keep the lines of communication open. Why? So that they would have an opportunity to reach them with the gospel. Paul says to the weak, I become weak, meaning to those people that have a weak conscience. There's people that are coming out of the world. And anything that has any identity with the world, their conscience might condemn them, Paul says, put away those things, even if you have liberty to do them. Paul doesn't have any of these superstitions or fears when it comes to these types of things. But Paul is basically saying, I will sacrifice something so that I may win some. He never did anything in the sense of not preaching the gospel to offend people. The gospel was offensive, and we see that. But he says, I don't want me, myself, to offend anyone so that they shut down and won't hear the gospel. Look at this last one. Look at it in Acts chapter 21. And then we'll just drive home the point. How are you guys doing? Okay, so just follow this with me. Acts chapter 21. Now this is where Paul, just get this, because I think this paints a beautiful picture. Paul has gathered from all the Gentile churches, because you have to imagine that the believers in Jerusalem, they are so so embedded in their culture and their mind is their tradition. And to have an understanding that now these Gentile people are going to come into a covenant relationship with Yahweh was beyond their understanding. So there was still some sort of animosity or some sort of racism that was between the Jews and the Gentiles. 
So there was a famine in Jerusalem, and Paul saw that as an opportunity that the Gentile churches would take an offering and gather money, and that he would take Gentile believers and they would march to Jerusalem and give that offering to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem. Now Paul has trekked hundreds of miles. Paul has endured unbelievable suffering. And now he is going to come into Jerusalem. And in verse 17, when he had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, we went in with us to James and the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that had God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when the elders, in, I'll just add, in Jerusalem, James being the head pastor, they glorified God and they said to him, you see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses. So there was this word that was going on in Jerusalem that Paul, even in the church, that Paul was saving these Gentiles, but Paul was telling them they don't have to follow anything in the Old Testament. So people were being offended. They were thinking, what is Paul preaching? And look at it, verse 21. They have been told you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. Verse 22, what should we do about this? So these are the elders in the church. Paul is there giving the testimony of all the great things that God is doing and, he's, and people are being saved. That's the point. They're filled with the Spirit. Their lives are being changed. But here is this message in Jerusalem that people in the church are being offended because Paul is... Falsely, it's a false accusation, but he's teaching these people not to do these religious Old Testament activities, which he's telling the Gentiles they're free. So they say, what are we going to do to prove to these people in Jerusalem that you are not trying to betray your heritage? And look at what in verse 23, do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. This is the Nazarite vow. That vow is that you would grow your hair, shave your head, and then bring that hair to the temple as an offering. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. So what are they saying? They're saying there's this Nazarite vow. There's four men that are about to do it. We want you, Paul, to go along with them and do the cleansing ritual in the temple and pay for them for their vow so that you can showcase to the Jews, the unbelieving Jews, that you honor the Old Testament in Moses. Now, I don't know about you, but if I've just trekked a few thousand miles by foot, and I've collected all this money from these Gentile churches, and I arrive in Jerusalem, and the elders and the pastors tell me not only to do the cleansing ritual of the Old Testament, which I don't have to do, but also to pay for the four men to do the vow, I would be thinking, who do you think I am? Can't we have that attitude? I don't have to do that. I have liberty. I have the freedom not to do that. But what does Paul do? He humbles himself. He understands that he has to sacrifice his rights and his liberties so that he can honor and not offend the Jews so that he could save some. That's the point. Now, what do we get out of this as 
you know, Westerners in this culture, when we're dealing with eating animals with blood and circumcision and shaving heads, what's the point of all of this? Well, if you go to Columbia, you've got to shave your head, or you go to the Midwest, you've got to be circumcised, or you, if you go to Scotland, you can't eat the meat with the blood, or whatever it might be. What does it mean? We get tangled up sometimes to extract the point. What is it? Sacrifice. Sacrifice is the point. Now, Paul says, I don't have to sacrifice anything. I am saved. I'm going to heaven. None of us have to do anything for the kingdom of God and still be saved. But when we have the heart of Christ, which is a servant, I could say I could lose something for the sake of someone else who doesn't deserve it. You know, in our church, we travel the globe and we have families that are moving abroad and we're going to places where people don't even necessarily want to hear what we have to say. Or we go to places where people are wondering, why are you even here? And we are honoring these people, we're honoring their culture, we are honoring them and we're coming in because we have a grander view of what is going on. Like Andrew said, that I'm going to sacrifice something because I have found the treasure and I want to share that treasure with these people. I love it because in one sense, Paul was just brilliant in his way of being able to approach people on their level so that he could subversively come around the back and give them the gospel. I just love that picture of the Apostle Paul, this mighty man of God who has done all of these amazing things and these leaders in this church. He was so humble to put himself under those leaders in Jerusalem that he honored what they said and he said, yes, I will pay for their Nazarite vow. I will be purified in the temple just so, guys, maybe it will give us an opportunity to be able to share the gospel with some. In the church, we are called to sacrifice for the sake of the gospel. With those examples, it's very different. It's shaving of heads. It's not eating meat. It's not going there. It's observing a holiday. But it's all with this picture that none of this is affecting my righteousness. I am safe and secure. But I am here in this world as this agent of God. And I am embedding myself in the culture, honoring people, never giving in to sin or lust or anything like that. But I am there and I am waiting so that they might open their ear to the gospel. So for us, we might not be going out on the mission field this summer. We might not be going out in the mission field anytime in the future. But we are saying we are behind something that is so much greater than us. And what does God want me to do to sacrifice to save some? Prayer, time, energy, money, whatever it might be. So that we can be like Paul, we can be like Timothy. Imagine Timothy, last point, imagine Timothy. I wouldn't want to go on that trip. I would not want to even go close. I would say, Paul, you are crazy. But he trusted Paul and what the mission was. And he said, Paul, do you think this would work with the Jews? Do you think that maybe they would see me as not being offensive and they would open their ear to me to preach the gospel? Paul says, maybe, let's give it a shot. That's a big sh- I mean, that's a bad shot. To t- but at the same time, let's do it for the sake of the gospel. Amen. Amen. So Lord, we just thank you tonight just for just this mission. We just thank you for 
just the example of these men of God, the Apostle Paul, Timothy, that they have sacrificed something, and it's all about the grander scheme that we can share the gospel. And Father, just be before us, every team that's going out for summer harvest, that you're before us, you're preparing the way, you're preparing the hearts and the people, just like Lydia on that riverbed where she went out to pray, and Paul and the disciples met her, opened her heart, and she believed. Father, that there's Lydia's, that there's Nathaniel's, that there's Peter's, that there's just people of God scattered abroad, and you want us to be the tool to be able to proclaim the message. So, Father, just go before us, do your work. Let us just enjoy it every step of the way. In Jesus' name, they all said, Amen. Amen.